Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Amen. Well, before you take a seat, why don't you say good morning to some folks around you. Let them know that you're excited that they're here. Maybe get to know somebody for the first time. All right. Well, good morning. So glad that you are here this morning. If you're uh, just visiting, I want to give you a special shout out. So uh, the last six weeks, I have had the opportunity to do something, I guess not do something that I have never done before, which is um, during the six weeks of speakers, I didn't have to speak. I didn't have to study. I didn't have to do anything, which you would think I'd be fresh, be ready to go. I'm not sure. We're, we're going to see how it goes today. But what I did get to do during the last six weeks, as I enjoyed the speakers, and hopefully you did too, was um, I got to go and Here's what I decided. I was going to do a cleanse, and not just like a physical cleanse, although I did that. I'd been eating real bad, and so I said, okay, it's time for me to get on track, but like a mental and emotional and spiritual cleanse. Then since I had a little bit more free time, I didn't have to study, I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of all the crud that's been building up in my life, and so I'm going to get rid of not just the food, but I'm going to get rid of like the, the mental junk food. I'm going to get rid of uh, YouTube for the month, and I'm going to get rid of uh, TV and movie. I'm going to do no entertainment for the entire month. All I'm going to do is read, actually listen to books. And so I challenged myself for the entire month of July, I'm only going to listen to books. And so I started to do some research and figure out, okay, well, what am I going to listen to? And I looked at all the classic books and I made a list of all the ones that I haven't read that I should have read. And, and then I started to look at what are the top selling books of this last year? And you know what was on the, almost the top of every list? It was on Amazon, people purchased on Audible, all the people would listen to. It was a book by Prince Harry called Spare. Now, you probably aren't familiar with it, maybe you, I don't know, um, but it is a book, and I, I gotta be honest, I didn't read it, didn't sound all that interesting to me, but I did wanna know what it was all about and why it was so popular. And so I started to do a little bit of research, reading some of the reviews, what are they talking about in this book? And it was funny because every major news outlet, New York Times, LA Times, The Atlantic, they all wrote these articles and they said pretty much the same thing. In it, they said, we don't know why we should care about this book. We fought a war to get away from these people. And yet there is something that we just can't help ourselves. We just want to know what royals are up to. And one of the authors actually said that um, even though she disagreed with pretty much everything a monarchy represents, she was drawn to it. And her daughter, four-year-old daughter, she says she dresses up every single day like a princess. And even if you took away all the movies where it talks about being a princess, you say she would invent the idea of being a princess because it's so ingrained in who she is, this desire to be a princess. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. Is where does this desire for us, this, this thing within us where we want to... We want to be near a king or a queen. We want to be royalty. If you look at the greatest stories that have ever been told throughout human history, they're almost always about a king, queen, royalty, kingdom. Think about it. You go back to Shakespeare's writings, Homer's Odyssey, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, War and Peace, King Arthur. You look at pretty much every Disney movie that has ever been produced, and guess what they have in common? Kings, queens, prince, princesses, some sort of royalty. You've got Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Little Mermaid, Lion King, Aladdin, Frozen, all of them. 
You know what the oldest story that we know of is, or one of the oldest stories? Is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And you know what it's about? This is thousands of years old. You know what it's about? It's about a king who is a hero. What is it about us? What is it about humanity that has this desire, this intuition that we just, we gravitate towards it? And you might be thinking, well, that's not true of me. <laughs> I'm not interested in royalty. That's children's stuff. That's old school. I don't care about kings and queens and kingdoms. Okay, let's look at the other top sellers on this list here. Uh, Michelle Obama, Ron DeSantis, Matthew McConaughey, and Snoop Dogg, who, by the way, uh, wrote a book uh, about recipes, which I'm assuming has a lot of greenery and things like that in it. Um, anyway, you think we don't have, hey, they got it. Uh, you don't think that we have royalty, but we do. Just pick a category and there is royalty. Yeah, we may not be under a monarchy anymore, but we have royalty. We have music royalty. Right now, there is this tour that is taking place. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Taylor Swift Tour. And she is expected to gross over a billion dollars. This is going to be the biggest music tour of all time. I looked up what ticket prices were just out of curiosity. You know what some of these are going for? Over $20,000 a seat. $20,000 a seat. I only bought three or four just because I thought... <laughs> Entertainment. I took my kids, um, I took my kids to actually, it was a, a Christmas present from last year that my wife got for the kids and for me, <laughs> lucky me, to take them. Uh, she didn't get a ticket for herself. Weird. Uh, for, for us to go to what's called the Dude Perfect Tour. Now, if you don't know what Dude Perfect is, it's these YouTubers who, they're one of the most popular people on YouTube. It's a group of guys who do trick shots and stuff. They happen to be Christians and good dudes. And, and so we got to go see them live. And my wife got us tickets where it was down this aisle where the guys happened to run by. And so my kids put their hands up and they got high five from them. And at the end of the night, you know what they said? This is the best day of our lives. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they haven't even washed their hands since that night. Because there was just something about seeing this royalty that we just, oh my goodness, I can't believe I met them. Some of you, grown men, will pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to have jerseys with a guy's signature on it. And if you don't believe that there are kings and queens in, in our, look at our politics. We're getting pretty close to just kinging them, to just queening them. Like, you know what? You're in charge. Because there's something within us that desires to be under the authority of a king. Not only do we want to be under the authority of a king, but we want to be a part of the kingdom. We want to be royalty. There's something alluring. There's something in which we want that kind of power, that kind of rule and influence and resources. And maybe we don't want all of what they have, but there are some pieces of it that look pretty nice. So where does this desire come from? How do we make sense of this? The scripture actually gives us insight into why we desire to be under the authority of a king and why we want to be royalty, but also why there happens to be this resistance within our heart. Because there is this awkwardness when you say, be under the rule of, we go, ooh, I don't like that part though. And so there's this tension. And the scripture says the reason is because you and I, were we created to be under the authority of a true king, the cosmic king, the creator. And he made this kingdom. It's called the universe that we live in. And he says, I am going to be the king over all creation. But he doesn't make us to be his slaves. It's not like we can help him do anything. He doesn't need us. He makes us so that we could be partners, so that we could be his children. We could be part of his family. And he uses us in order to co-create with him, to tend to his creation, to help take care of his kingdom. 
The problem is that we find out very early on in the Genesis story that we don't want to have a king, we just want to have a kingdom. In fact, if we're being honest, we would like his kingdom and we would like to sit on the throne. We want to be the kings. If you ever read the story of Adam and Eve, you might think, oh, it's just a silly children's story about these people who ate this forbidden fruit and I don't even know what it means. It's just silliness. No, no, you're missing it. There's something far deeper happening there. It is talking about how mankind has chosen to rebel against its creator king and decide to put themselves on the throne. That's what the story is. And then the story of scripture is really the telling of how God is bringing his kingdom back under his authority and how he's making a way for you and I to be a part of that kingdom. See, that's like the big picture of scripture. And so what I want to do uh, today is I want to look at a story, a story that takes place in the Old Testament. And we can, you know, pick uh, countless stories, but I think this one best illustrates this of this tension that humanity lives in of king, kingdom, royalty, and rebellion. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, Old Testament is uh, the, the, first, the first half, and it's before Jesus. And the story is primarily the story of this people that God has raised up called the nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel, they're unique because God has a special relationship with them, and he is going to rule over this nation, and he is going to be their king. And the way that he does this is he has uh, this man named Moses who receives these commandments. And so unlike any other nation in the world, Israel is supposed to be unique. It's supposed to stand out and the rest of the world is supposed to take notice. And so as people look at them, they, all the other surrounding nations, they have kings, you know, like regular kings, like with a hat and like a pinky ring and a moat and, you know, all that kind of king stuff. <laughs> and so they have kings, but Israel is supposed to be different because it doesn't have a king. They have God as king. He is their ruler. He is the ultimate authority. And the way that he rules over his kingdom is through these different commands and laws. The first five books of the Old Testament, of the Bible. This is his guidance. This is what he wants people to do. Now, things don't go as planned. People decide they don't really like to live under rules. And so one of the first things that God does is he sends these different judges. And the judges are people who are supposed to help the nation of Israel stay on, on track and observe all the commandments that God has given them. And sometimes when they get themselves in trouble, he'll deliver them from their enemies. Well, about 400 years of this goes by, and uh, it doesn't really go all that well, because the people of Israel are a lot like you and I. Um, we hear God's law, we hear his commandments, and we go, yeah, I don't know, man. That doesn't really sound like a whole lot of fun. I think I'd rather do what I want to do. And so you can take about 400 years of Israel's history, and I can summarize it in one sentence. It's the last book of Judges. Here's how this period in time went. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. So they got, here's God's law. These judges are trying to keep people accountable to God's law, and everybody's going, nah, I don't think so. I think I'm going to be in charge. I think I'm going to be the ultimate authority. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it ends badly. If you're not a Bible person and you want to see some spicy stuff in the scriptures, this is a good chapter to read because it's craziness that's going on. And so at the end of all of this, the nation is in moral decay, which by the way, don't you ever read the scripture and go, this story sounds really familiar. Where have I heard this before? Oh yeah, we're doing this again today. We do this. 
We do this all the time, right? You go, why would a nation decide that they're going to have no ultimate authority except what their own internal desires and wants and feelings are? That's crazy. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's what we do. And it never ends well. But we continue this, uh, this pattern over and over again. So the elders get together uh, and they say, uh, they go to this man named Samuel. And they say to Samuel, who's a prophet, God speaks through him. And they say, Samuel, we're in trouble. The nation, moral and spiritual decay, we've got to figure out something. We know that we're not really good at leading ourselves because every time we do that, it ends badly. And so we think we figured out what we need to do. And I'm, uh, I'm just imagining Samuel's going, yeah, this is a mess and it's pretty obvious what you should do. And they say, we need a king with a throne who can tell us what we're supposed to do. And you have to imagine Samuel's just like facepalm, what are you? Okay, we've, how many times are we going to go through this, dude? And so he, he's getting frustrated. Here's actually uh, what he says there. He says, but the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. So he says, look, guys, we already have a king. You don't need a king. Remember God, he's our king. And so why would we substitute a lower, lesser, corrupted king for the true king? And they said, no, no, no. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so in essence, what they're saying is, no, no, we know that God is supposed to be our king, but like, I think we know better. <laughs> you know, I think we know better than God does. And so Samuel heard all the words of the people. He repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Here is the great and oftentimes tragic thing about God and our free will. He gives us the ability to make our own decisions, even when he knows that they are, a, they are horrible decisions. And so he goes, oh, you want a king? You don't believe me? All right, I'll give you a king. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. And so he gives them a king. And for the next 400 years, Israel has one king after another. They start with Saul, and he's not a very good king. And then they go to David, and he's their best king, but he is deeply flawed. And then we have Solomon, and then we go through all these series of kings. And you know what happens? Things don't get better. There was no king who could fix it. In fact, it just continued to spiral downward until the nation splits in half. Half of it just disappears off the face of the earth. The other half is on the brink of extinction. And it's during this time where I think we get one of the best illustrations of what it looks like to trade the true king for any other king. I want to look at the last king of Israel. It's in 6th century BC, a nation, like I said, on the brink of extinction. And to give you the lay of the land, there's this, there's this King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the ruler of Babylon, and pretty much they rule over all the other nations, including the Jews. And not only is he in charge, but he gets to determine what they do. He makes them pay taxes, and then he installs the kings that he wants to lead. And so the last king was, uh, the, the king prior to this was there for all of three months. It's a tough job. Well, he comes along, and he puts a new king named Zedekiah in. And he says, Zedekiah, here's what you need to know. I'm really in charge here. I'm in charge of all the nations. I will put you in the palace. You get to relax. You get to enjoy yourself. But just remember, all your power, all your authority belong to me. You report to me. So don't get any crazy ideas that you're the king and you're... No, no, no. I put you there. You know, have you ever like, heard this growing up is, um, from your parents when you're misbehaving? Is I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of it. <laughs> Did you ever hear that? Just me? Okay. I heard it pretty regular, but... 
kind of in essence what he's saying here. And so Zedekiah is made king and this other prophet, Jeremiah, comes along and he goes, all right, here's the deal. God is punishing us. We've rebelled. We've worshipped other gods. And don't think of this as Babylon as the enemy, although they are. The real issue underneath all of this is that we've disobeyed. And so the way to get out of this is not push against what is happening in this other nation. No, no. The way that we get out of this is we surrender to God, the true king, and we repent for our rebellion. That's the way that we're going to solve this. And Zedekiah has a choice to make. Here's what he did. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. Okay, so already we kind of see where this is going to go. We already see because it says Zedekiah is all of 21 years old. Now, in our country, we have a minimum age for president, right? I think it's 35. We don't have a maximum age yet, but it might be a good idea. Um, <laughs> And the reason why we have a minimum age is because when you're 21 years old, you should be in charge of nothing. <laughs> you just haven't had enough life to li have lived. You, you, don't, you don't know enough. You don't have enough wisdom. You make bad decisions. And so at 21, to be in charge of an entire nation, you just know this isn't going to end well. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God, and he did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. One of the things that I'm trying to teach my kids is whenever we're in a discussion about something um, that uh, a truth claim or something that's happening in the world or advice that's given, here's what I tell them. I say, look, from here on out, just assume that I'm smarter than you. I tell them, just assume I'm smarter than you. Because what they will do is we'll be discussing something and they will make this confident statement of fact this is how the world works, and this is why it's the way it is, and this is, and I'm just listening to him, and I go, no, that's not even close to true. Like, you're so far off right now. And when I tell them this, you know what they've never done? They've never gone, Father, you clearly are much wiser and have more insight than I do. It's your years of experience and study that has given you this, and I thank you for directing my paths and showing me the correct way. That's never happened. <laughs> you know what the response always is? Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. I'm like, dude, I know for a fact this is how it is. Nuh-uh. And so I've just gotten sick of arguing with them, so I don't even argue with them anymore. They go, nuh-uh. I go, all right, try it. See what happens. No, no, you should for sure jump off of the playhouse and see how, how it works. Last, I think it was like a week or two ago, I've been doing this on a regular basis. Okay, try it, see what happens. Oh, by the way, when you are crying, you know not to come to me afterward because I will rub it in. I will go, ha, ah, told you so, right? Remember this, put this down as another one for dad. But two weeks ago, we were in such a hurry. We were on the way and I just said, look, here's the deal. You can't go do this right now because I need to get moving and we don't have time to go to the ER. But next week, feel free to try it out and see how it goes because I got plenty of time next week. Because they just don't believe me. Everything is Nuh-uh. It's true of, uh, it's true of them, but it's true of us as well. Here's what Zedekiah does next, is not only does he rebel against the true king, God, but it says he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. 
Do you realize how ridiculous this is? This would be like Cyprus going, you know what, California, we are sick and tired of how you're running things. We declare war on you. Now, there may be times we want to do that, but that would just not work out well. And so Jeremiah comes along and he goes, what are you doing, dude? Not only have you rebelled against God, but also against King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, this is going to be really, really bad. And so he gives him a choice. What are you going to do? Well, um, there's no surprise. But shortly after Zedekiah's rebellion, Nebuchadnezzar shows up, shows up at his doorstep. He's sitting in the palace. He looks out and he sees the sea of people coming in and he realizes, uh-oh, that's an army. And they're coming to attack us. And we have absolutely no chance of survival. And so he goes to Jeremiah and he goes, uh, Jeremiah, we're in trouble. What are we supposed to do? And Jeremiah goes, yeah, you dummy. I've been telling you this the entire time. You know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to surrender and repent. Surrender to God and to this king who he's using to discipline you. Repent and he'll save you. And you know what he decides to do? You know what Zedekiah's response is? Nuh-uh. <laughs> Nuh-uh. So a couple days goes by and he's looking out the window and something crazy happens. Is the army that is surrounding them starts to retreat. And he thinks, oh, we're saved. God has come through. He's provided for us. And so he goes, Jeremiah, I told you so. I told you this was going to work out. Jeremiah goes, no, it's not. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. God is giving you a second chance right now. You better take it. But again, Zedekiah, he's a king. He knows best. He knows what he's doing. And so the people celebrate that they have been victorious. What he didn't understand, though, was the reason why they were leaving is because on the other side of the empire, the Egyptians were attacking, and so they had to go and fight on that forefront. But what was quickly going to take place was they were, they were going to be back. But before they came back, Jeremiah starts walking around the city, and he's kind of like that guy on the corner who has a sandwich board and it says, repent, and he just starts telling people, repent, repent, we got to surrender, repent, we got to surrender. He even goes to all the soldiers and he goes, look, if you go into battle, you're going to die. But if you stop and surrender right now, God will spare your life. Well, Zedekiah's not having any of this. So he takes Jeremiah and he throws him in prison, but it doesn't stop him. He's got a message to tell. And so he'll just keep preaching it in the prisons. Hey, we need to repent. We need to repent. It's starting to annoy people. So they take him to this dry well that's got mud at the bottom of him. And they throw him in there and he's at the bottom of him. He's like, repent, 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 repent. You know, he's just still going after it. He's just going to get this message out there. Well, sure enough, Zedekiah looks out the palace window, and this time he not only sees a sea of people, he sees this never-ending sea of people, more than was here last time. Because Nebuchadnezzar, he's back, and this time he brought everybody with him. Because he looks at this puny little king who he installed, and he says, how dare you betray me? I will make you pay. And so, comes to the end of himself, well, first, let me, let me tell you what Nebuchadnezzar does. He's so angry at this point that he doesn't even attack. He just brings his entire army and he surrounds the city. And here's what it, here's what it says. It says, in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the 10th day of the 10th month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. So here's his strategy. I'm not going to attack. I'm not going to come in and kill you. You know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to build a wall around your city so that you can't leave. Because I'm so powerful, I'm just going to starve you to death. And that's what he does. For the city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And so for two years, he just sits outside the city and starves the people. Eventually, Zedekiah becomes so desperate, he doesn't know what to do, that he goes to the last person that he wants to go to, Jeremiah. And he says, Jeremiah, will you pray for me? I love Jeremiah's response. No. No. I'm not going to pray for you. There's no prayer needed right now. It's like, dude, you know what you're supposed to do. He's made it very clear. No more prayer is needed. In fact, here's what he says. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says, if you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and this city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it down. You yourself would not escape from their hands. He goes, dude, last chance. This is it. You can either surrender and repent, or you're going to experience the consequences. And the consequences is you, your family, and everybody else is going to go down. Now, you may look at this guy and go, what a fool. I mean, what is this guy thinking? He's surrounded. It's clear this isn't going to work out. But you got to realize this isn't just a story about a silly king. This is a story about you and I. This is us. Where's Zedekiah? Because God tells us to do things all the time. And we look at him and we go, nah, nah, I got it. Because there's this spirit of rebellion within each one of us where we go, I think I actually know best. I think that I'm probably going to have to do what I want to do. I think that I know the way forward. There is something within the human heart that the thing it wants most is control. Is the same at the beginning with Adam and Eve, and it's still true of you and I today. Is we don't want a king, we want to be king. We want to sit on the throne of our little kingdoms, and there is something within us that hates the idea of having to bow down. We hate it so much, in fact, that when God came to earth and said, I am here to be your king, we didn't bow down to him. We mocked him, we beat him, and eventually we crucified him. Because we don't want to bow down to the king. We will literally give up anything and everything in order to just maintain control of our lives, in order to just continue to be be enthroned. That's what's happening with Zedekiah. Everything is crumbling around him. It's all falling. All he has to do is give up control, surrender, say, you know what? You're the king, not me. But you know what he refuses to do? Refuses to admit it. And so here's the ending to Zedekiah's story and Jerusalem. Eventually they do attack and the walls of Jerusalem come down. The temple is destroyed. The houses are burned. The people are taken into captivity and marched off to Babylon. But Zedekiah, because he's king, he thinks he's smart. And so he has a secret passageway that he and his family flee, but they don't get very far because the army catches up with them. And Nebuchadnezzar is so angry at this point. He says, I'm not even going to kill you. I'm going to bring you back. And he brings him back to Babylon and he lines up Zedekiah's entire family in front of him and one by one he slaughters them. And then instead of slaughtering Zedekiah, he gouges out his eyes and throws him into prison so that he can rot and suffer for the rest of his life. 
isn't that just a Disney fairy tale, happily ever after story? Don't you just wish Pixar would come out with one like that and they in the credits roll and you just look at your kids and they're just like, whoa, you go, follow God, dude, I'm telling you, follow God, follow God. That's moral of the story. The irony for Zedekiah and for all of us who say nuh-uh and go our own way is we believe that we're pursuing freedom and autonomy by maintaining control of our lives. There are so many fun things out there that I want to do and God seems to not want me to pursue and so I think I'm just gonna ignore him and I'm gonna go my own way. I'm gonna be in control because it's my money, it's my body, it's my future, it's my choices, decisions, it's my schedule, it's all about me. I am in control of my life. And what ends up happening is as we continue to sit on the throne of our own lives and we build these little kingdoms around us, and we work every day trying to build our little kingdom, one day we will come to the point in which we realize that we have not built a little kingdom around us, but we've built a little prison around us. Because it didn't bring freedom, but it enslaved us in the end. I heard a podcast recently about a, uh, from an interview, and they were interviewing an entertainer who, I think by all standards, he would be considered successful. He has money, and he has influence, and he has a family, and he has from the outside, it looks like, man, he's got, he's got it really going on. And they started randomly talking about, there's a new study about Amish and kind of the benefits of being Amish and uh, the health-wise. And, and he said this one thing that really stuck out. He said, you know, I think I would just trade everything if I could just live like them. Because he observed that the reason why they may have these health benefits is they're not trying to constantly prove themselves. They don't have to always try to be more successful than they were the previous year. They don't have to worry about all the stuff, all the rat race, all the chasing, all the proving, all the, you know, they just seem to be at peace. I wish I could have a peace like that. And what he was realizing in that moment, whether, whether he was going to admit it or not, was he had spent his entire life building this kingdom around him and now he's enslaved by it. And he doesn't know where to go. Because he doesn't experience any more freedom. In fact, he feels like he has less freedom. The scripture says that the only way to experience the freedom that we desire is by giving our lives over to the true king. That's who created us. That's who knows best for us. He created us not to be in control. and to, He created it so that he could be in control and we could submit to him and we could trust him. It's actually one of the reasons why uh, I, myself, am a Christ follower. If you know my story a little bit, you know that I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. I can be pretty cynical. And I, I struggle with faith. And I will often come back to the question of, well, why am I a Christian? And I can go through all the apologetic arguments about the resurrection and about the existence of God. And I love all those kinds of things. I love debating those things and thinking about those things. But at the end of the discussion, you know one of the things that is probably one of the, the, the stronger reasons why I'm a Christian is because I realize that somebody is going to rule my life. There is going to be an ultimate authority in my life. It, it just a, it's just a fact. It can be me. I can put somebody else in control. And so when I look at all the options in the world of who will I make the ultimate authority of my life, I come to one person, Jesus. Because I've seen him work in, in my life and in my family and in billions of other lives and and it all just makes sense. It's like, okay, who's going to be in control here? Cody, are you going to be in control? Well, look at Israel. How did it work out when they were in control of their own lives? Not well. Our country, as you look at 
the more we kind of push away from faith and, and God as our ultimate authority and said, look inward at our own desires, our own individualism, how is that working out for us? Not well. Okay, maybe there's somebody, maybe there's a, a hero, maybe there's a king, an entertainer, or a politician or a, that can guide me, that can be my authority. How'd that work out for Israel? Yeah, they're just as broken as I am. There seems to be only one option at the end of the day. Who's going to be your king? Who's going to be, well, the one that claims to be the true king? At the end of the day, this actually brings freedom, ironically, is when you finally submit and make him the authority, you experience this freedom. Because I don't have to get up every day anymore and go, okay, Cody, you got to do it. You got to make this happen. I mean, you have one life to live and you got to prove yourself and you got to become something and you've got to maintain control and you've got to, that just brings so much fear and anxiety and depression. And, but when I get up and I go, God, you're in control today. It's up to you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what you want me to do. But at the end of the day, I just, I'm leaving it to you because you're my ultimate authority. You're in control. And you know what kind of freedom that brings? Yeah, it's a constant struggle. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk about that a little bit. But just being able to say, God, I, I tr you, you know what? It's yours. My life is yours. I trust you. The American dream is to no longer be under the authority of a king, but to be the kings of our own little kingdoms. But I think that fundamentally misunderstands human nature. Is there is no such thing as being free from authority. You can't help it. It's how you were made. You can no more stop living and breathing, no more stop breathing and living than, than you can bowing down to some ultimate authority. You have to have one. And so the question is not if you are going to bow down, but who or what are you going to bow down to? C.S. Lewis says like this, he says, where men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead. Even famous prostitutes and gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. See, we're going to serve someone. I think there's even a song. Everybody's got to serve somebody, something. But the question is, not if, but what are you going to serve? So my son he started this, this new thing. Whenever he's trying to figure out if I'm telling him the truth or not, or I'm giving him a hard time, or I'm trying to be funny, he just says this. He goes, Dad, actually? Like, is that actually what happened? Is that actually what they said? Is that actually how that works? And so now whenever he's questioning me, he really wants to know if I'm telling him the truth. He goes, actually, though? Actually? Actually? And I think that's the question. Because in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what does it mean for God to be the king of our lives? What does it mean that we declare Jesus as king? What, we're going to dig into that and the claims of Jesus as being the king. But I think the question that we just need to wrestle with this week is who is our king? Or what is our king? What is the ultimate authority in our life? And there's some of us who we say, Jesus is king. He's my ultimate authority. He's the one I bow down to. And you might need to ask yourself, Actually, is Jesus actually king? Like you give lip service to it and you would check yes on a quiz, but like is he actually the one that is your ultimate authority? Or do you say he is, but then you kind of push him off the throne and then you sit in it? So that's the question for this week. For all of us to think through as we head into this new series is who is actually the king of my life? Let's pray. Lord God, 
when we come together today, what we are doing is we, we are declaring that you are king. Um, we are declaring it with the songs that we sing as we read the scriptures, as we talk to you, as we take communion. All of those things are declaring that you are the ultimate authority in our life. Now, sometimes we may wrestle with this and we struggle and, and we may try to sneak ourselves back onto the throne of our lives. But Lord, we want to declare today that you are a king and that we just want to be faithful because we trust you. We trust that you are loving, that you are wise, that you are good, and that you know what is best. And so, Lord, as we walk out of these doors into a new week, I just pray that every day we would wake up and we would declare that you, Jesus, are king. Same we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Thank you guys for being here this weekend. Um, the kids have the Kona ice truck over there, so make sure you grab some of that. Your kids will probably not let you not do that. So um, have a great week, and we'll see you next weekend. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.